0: Kids, um, let's invite some folks, we've got plenty of invitations, and let's pray for our workers because night one is of course always chaos, night two you're like, okay, I got this, night three you're, you're exhausted and you're halfway through it, night four you're like, okay, we're almost there, and then night five is there and it's just a blur, and then you're exhausted for about a week after that, but, um, but it will be very, very much worth it, alright, uh, any others at all? Alright. Well, let's pray this morning, and then we're going to be finishing off this section here uh, in 1 John, in this booklet, 1 John 5. We'll be looking today specifically at verses 9 through 12. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. God, we're grateful that we can gather. We can worship you. We can praise you. Uh, We're thankful that we can uh, just meet. And Lord, today, Lord, while uh, there's things happening with technology and different things like that that we certainly would like to be able to use and enjoy, Lord, nevertheless, we're grateful that you've given us uh, the the promise of your presence. We have hymn books, we have pews, we have uh, just a beautiful day and an opportunity and the freedom to gather and to worship you, Lord. So help us to do so in spirit and in truth, to do so with hearts that are prepared uh, to glorify you and to honor you. Um, Lord, we want to lift up today some of these requests, Lord. There's many unspoken today, and God, we do pray that you would meet those needs as only you can, that you would give strength and grace and wisdom, uh, that you would give provision. And Lord, that you would give um, just the the power of your presence in the middle of, of difficult situations. We know that you are mighty and you are able Uh, And so, Lord, we do pray that you would um, just meet those needs as only only you can. God, we do want to lift up to you, Brother Paul Dudka in Ukraine. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you've been doing there for saving souls, for the baptisms that they have coming up, for the fact that they are still able to provide for for, you know, 50, 60 people. And and Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have provided this far. We know that you'll continue to do so. Um, Help us to continue to be mindful in in prayer um, for their needs and, and for the work that you're doing there. And God, that our hearts that as well would be prepared for, for if we were to ever face such a day here, and, and Lord, we pray that we would have strength and would be able to, to stand firm as they have. Um, we pray as well that you would just send to them some encouragement and just a, a blessing, Lord, that they might have their, their strength physical and spiritually re- renewed. We do pray, continued prayers for Irene, and just for, for help uh, physically, for the health problems that are there, and Lord, we've got... Many others who have been battling sicknesses and, and different things as well. Many people who are waiting their, their power to come back on. And, and Lord, there's been lots of stuff happening in our lives. But God, nevertheless, we know that you're faithful. We know that you're good. We know that you're in control. And Lord, we know that you are able to uh, provide. And Lord, that you uh, remain those things because that's who you are. And we thank you for that. We do lift up our Vacation Bible School coming up uh, in just a, a week away. We pray that you would, um, Lord, bring in those uh, children and, and parents as well, Lord, um, that certainly need to hear the gospel the most, help each uh, volunteer, uh, each teacher especially, Lord, to have the gospel um, presented uh, clearly and, and continuously uh, throughout the week. And, God, that each person that helps out, uh, whether they're praying or whether they're here, uh, and helping out regardless of the capacity, Lord, we pray that you would bless them and encourage them for it, strengthen them for it, and, God, that you would be glorified through this time, that we might see um, some seeds planted and that we might be able to see perhaps some, some fruit, Lord, of, of the work that you're able to do in hearts and lives. God, I pray that you would be with us now. I pray that you would help my uh, heart and my mind to be focused upon you, that you would help us to study your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, First John chapter 5 this morning. First John chapter number 5. going to be looking at verses 9 through 12 this morning. First John chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. We'll be finishing off this uh, booklet today. Um, here, as we're getting into this little section, verses 9 through 12, we're going to be looking at the witness of the testimony and all that that the Lord um, has given to us here and really going to get into some of the nitty gritty of of the end of this book. But really how John wrote the gospel as much how he has written this letter and that we see the real um, the real message, not necessarily just at the beginning, but as well at at the end of this. And so we're going to find that ultimately everything that he's pointing to both uh, apologetically to defend but as well as giving of an assurance of, it is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's look here today. I want to read verses 6 through 12 just to help us out with this context of this passage where we've been at. And then we're going to focus in on verses 9 through 12. It says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth and spirit and water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this is the life Uh, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Really, as we're going to see, verse 12 is sort of the whole book of John uh, here, the the whole letter wrapped up in one. We see the apologetic stance. We see the uh, assurance uh, given to the believers. We find that the key of everything, salvation, sanctification, glorification, and everything that you might find in between, as found in Jesus, and so there is a reason why today you hear about buzzwords and things um, in the modern world about being Christ-centered, Christ-focused. Really, I would look at those as not necessarily these sort of hip buzzwords that a lot of people tend to use, but rather that is the core of everything. That is what John has said, that which we uh, in verse uh, 1-1, uh, of one one of First John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. This is it. It is found in Christ. So first of all, we look here, verses 9 through 12, and we ask the question, who and what do you believe? He begins here in verse 9, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. Now, there are some folks that we look at or maybe we hear, and we go, you know, I don't know that I believe everything that they have to say. Right? And we should be able to have such discernment because he's already talked about how there's antichrists who have come. There's false teachers who have come. And even uh, as we talk about the New Testament, that in the last days that will happen more and more and more. So we've got to be able to discern those who are telling the truth and those who are not. But yet even those, he say, that are telling the truth. The key is not so much this person, this man, but rather to look past the man and to see the truth of God, which is found in the spirit of God. The word of God, which is the truth of God, the giving of truth. So we ask sort of the question, or really for us here, if we receive the witness of men, meaning if there are people in your life that you can trust, right? And hopefully you have them. Hopefully you have some people in your life that you go, I can trust them. Their word means something, right? Um, in our sort of culture and area, it used to be years ago where you didn't have to write out contracts and things so much. A contract was as simple as you got my word, right? you shake hands nice and firm maybe even you know spit in it before you do right but your word meant something your word was everything and for some folks today that it still means something your word your name it means something now if we believe man the idea is that if we can believe any man for something in particular then don't you think that we can believe god and absolutely god has already spoken god's witness is greater and god's word is greater and we've talked about this before that um, man tries to be honest. right? We try to be honest, don't we? But nevertheless, we often fail at that or we might stretch the truth a little bit, right? Uh, you might look here at the fishing poles and you go fishing and you're like, I caught three fish. And you're like, wow, that was a good day. I mean, the, the fish were that big, but, you know, right? Or I caught, I caught the biggest bass I've ever seen, right? Well, the biggest bass you've ever seen was, you know, still that big, right? And so we can stretch the truth. Now, here's the thing. We want to be honest, but ultimately at all times we're not. Yet when we look at God, His character, everything that God has ever spoken, it is true, it remains true, and it will always remain true. And not only is His word true, but it's faithful and it changes us from the inside out. It is life-giving. Whereas the words of man oftentimes are deceptive or are oftentimes selfish in their motivation or they are manipulative. God does not desire to manipulate you with his word, but rather that the power and truth of his word would change you from the inside out as we obey by faith. Now, uh, Sorensen writes about this. He says, John states the obvious. If we receive the word of men, how much greater is the word of God? If we believe men, how much more ought we to believe God? If we therefore receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is far greater. The final phrase, "For this is the witness of God, which He hath testified of His Son," likely harkens back to what has been developed thus far in verses four through eight. The alternate view is that it applies to what is about uh, to be presented in the succeeding text. But nevertheless, what is right before and what is right after is really one and the same. It is pointing to the testimony and assurance of faith in Christ that the person and work of Jesus is full and final and sufficient for all things, that the testimony of heaven and the testimony of man must point and only points to Christ, that Christ is what matters, that Christ, even more rather, is who matters more than anything in the world, and that his truth is sure and it's final and sufficient. I I love to read. I'm a big reader. I I read books constantly. I normally keep at, at least two going at a time. Um, I keep a log, the whole thing, very particular about this. And and I love reading. I love to glean a lot of things. And I think it's a healthy thing. I think um, leaders have to read, should read. But I think every believer should certainly have a desire to to grow and to know things, to be challenged even. But I believe it was Spurgeon um, who said, um, visit many books, but live in the Bible, right? And why is that? Because we can believe the testimony of many men. And many men have a lot of great things to say. However, the greatest truth and truly the only source of truth that there ever has been must be found in the scripture. And ultimately, as we find in the the study of scripture, we don't just find truth about the Bible or truth from the Bible or truth about God. What do we really find? We find the person and work of Jesus. So here, what we find is that men are only right and true when we are on and in the rightness and the, and the truthfulness of God's Word here. Now, as we look here at verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And it's not just that it's better. I don't want us to get that sort of understanding of like, this is good, but this is better. Because the issue that we've got today, and that John had even as well, but we look today at some maybe some modern examples. There's two groups that have their own sort of um, other, other authority for their for their stuff. We've got the Jehovah's Witnesses with the watchtower. They would say, well, you know, the Bible is God's word, but, you know, this is also just as good. Or this is um, pretty equal, or this will help you in different ways that maybe the Bible won't. Or we've got then the, the, the Book of Mormon, that same idea. Well, we believe the Bible, but this is, you know, this is a new revelation. This is a new help. No, it is not a help, it's a hindrance. We've got to get to um, the, the word of God alone. It is the word that matters. It is the word that reveals truth. And what the truth of God does, what the Bible does from beginning to end, is that, uh, as we have here in the book, that everything that God testifies of is found in Jesus. So if you're reading in Genesis, you know who you're going to find? Christ. If you're reading in Exodus, who are you going to find? Christ. If you're reading in 2 Samuel, who are you going to find? You're going to find Christ. Why? Because this Bible is a gift of God to show us the one that all truth is revealed through. The one that um, all authority has been given to. And that is Christ alone. Second that we find is that God's testimony is true because he is not a liar, nor can he lie. You and I are able to lie. We don't always lie, but we're able to, aren't we? Why is that? Because we have a sinful nature. So let me ask you then, let's do some simple math. Can God lie? No. Impossible, actually, is what the Bible says. Why? Because it is completely contrary and foreign to His nature and character. For you and I, as believers in Christ, it's now for us to lie contrary to the Spirit of God within us. It's contrary to our profession of faith. But yet, in our flesh, we are still able to sin. But the Lord is unable to sin. The Lord is unable to even think of sin. You and I often sin long before we even sin, right? We sin in our mind about sinning outwardly. Uh, we, we sin about the, the lie or the thought about the three fish or the giant bass before it comes out of our mouth, right? So it's sin here before it comes out. When it comes out, though, that's the, the outward expression of that inward indwelling fleshly sin, though. But God's Word is true. It remains true. It must always be true. It is who He is. The third thing we find is that God's testimony is that in Christ, eternal life is offered and assured to all who place their faith in Him. He says, For this is the witness of God which He hath testified of His Son. Well, what do we know in John's Gospel and throughout all the Bible? is that the authority has been given to the Son, that the work was accomplished by the Son, and that the that Jesus himself, as we've been talking about a, a little while in our Bible study on Genesis, is that he is the fulfillment of the promise and provision of God or the word and work of God. It is found in Jesus. So though you might be reading about David slaying Goliath, right? Well, what do we have something far greater than? We have a giant in our life that we can't throw a rock at, and it's sin. But yet Christ, a, a greater David, even the... the the, uh, the, tri, uh, from the, the seed of David is the one who conquers the, the giant that we can't. And even what we find is that you take someone like a David. Well, it's not just because his lineage is going to go to Christ, but those who are of faith, those who are used of God, what does their life do? It doesn't point to their testimony or to their goodness, but to the testimony and goodness of Jesus. And so we've got to understand that all of this truth is true. God's Word, everything that He has spoken is true and remains true, and that all of it is centered around Christ, and that this offer of eternal life has been given. And it's not been given by just knowing about this book, but knowing the one that the book is about. Knowing the author of the book. It's not just mere uh, enough to, to know the content of the Bible, but to know the one that this book is about. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. We also find forth that God's testimony is, is greater than man's because it is eternally trustworthy and secured in Christ. Now, as a pastor, I want you to believe what I say, right? I, I would be dumb to, 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 to not want that, right? Uh, and you would probably be pretty foolish if you kept coming here going, that guy's a liar, but I'll go next week, right? You'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't you? Now, here's the thing. The, the reason why we would hear anybody preach the Bible is because if the Bible is preached, truth is presented, right? That's the key. When we preach anything outside of the Bible, we're getting to some very shaky ground. When we preach something that we have thought of or our feelings or our opinion, we get into some shaky ground because thoughts and opinions and feelings and all these things have got to be centered around and based upon what the Bible has already given, meaning this, Everything that you and I say, speak of, and live out, and seek to pursue, must not be based upon what we think and feel, but rather upon what God has already spoken and dealt with. So because God has spoken, now our response when we speak, when we think, when we act, when we feel, it must be based upon not what we say, but what He has already spoken and said. And the one of which He has spoken for and about is found in Christ. So Old Testament, they're looking forward to Christ. New Testament, we're looking back at what Christ has done and we're looking forward to His coming. Everything centered around the person and work of Jesus. Then we get into verse number 10 here. We find the that acceptance by faith brings assurance of faith. Right. So there are countless who struggle with assurance. And I'm convinced that what the devil does nearly the moment that you trust Christ is immediately comes in to plant seeds of doubt, to throw weeds in there where there's fruit beginning to spring up, to try to do everything that he can to get you to doubt. Because what has the devil done from the very beginning? Did God say, right? He has caused doubt upon the word of God. So what is John dealing with in his day? People causing doubt or throwing doubt or casting seeds of doubt upon the word of God. Of God. Upon what Christ has already said, spoken, and done, and accomplished. What do we find today with false teachers? The same exact thing. There are countless Christian books that are used today, that are promoted today. Countless Christian authors today who take a little bit of what God has said, and then go, "Well, well, did he really say it like that? Or did he really mean that? Countless people who say that Jesus was lovey and squishy and never talked about hell. If we read the Gospels, what you will find is that Jesus talks an awful lot about hell. He talks an awful lot about not just a bad place, but he talks in specifics. Outer darkness, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Right? Jesus preached these things, and he didn't say, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to say something might be a little offensive and we'll just get through this and then we'll get to the good stuff again. He preached it because it's true. And so here's the issue of John's day and the issue of our day, and that is if we will choose to stand upon what God has already spoken or if we will listen to the doubts and the things that have been increasingly coming from the world, but sadly now much of the Opposition of the day against the Bible comes from those who call themselves Christians or evangelicals. Countless who question the authority of the Bible or if the Bible is enough and sufficient to determine everything, right? We go back more so, unfortunately, and this not just churches, this is conventions and groups. We go back more to, to bylaws and, and uh, constitutions than we do so than what thus saith the Lord. Now, these have their place, but ultimately these have to be based on what God has said. He says this, the reason why we need acceptance by faith is so we would have an assurance of it. If we can accept and be assured that God's word is God's word, then you and I can have acceptance of our assurance that we are sealed and in Christ and that there is nothing and no one, including ourselves, that could ever take us out and that, um, that we are His. Look at this phrase in verse number 10. He that believeth on the Son of God Hath the witness in himself, meaning if we're in Christ, Christ is in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. What do we have? We have the witness. Look at this. Sorensen writes, "One truly born of God will have the witness of God within. It is the Holy Spirit which bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God." See Romans eight sixteen. Therefore, one truly born again will have divine witness thereto internally. We thus can know that we have been saved. Now we hear little cliches and things, you know, um, I don't have a hope, so salvation, I have a no-so. All right, the rest of y'all haven't heard preaching near enough then, right? If you've heard preaching for more than ten years or five minutes, you've probably heard that phrase in a Baptist church, right? We have a no-so salvation. Why? Because there is assurance. There is this truth that the moment... We have acceptance, meaning we have accepted the gospel by faith. What do we have now? We now have assurance in our hearts because we now have acceptance with God. Before faith in Christ, we're not acceptable. Before faith in Christ, we don't have assurance. So therefore, the moment that we accept the gospel by faith, we now have assurance in our heart because we are now acceptable to God, and He has given us the assurance What assurance has He given us? Well, not just the Bible, but even more specifically, the moment that we accept it, we have assurance because He has accepted us and assured us with His Holy Spirit that He comes Himself to dwell within us. It has been said before that something as big as God can't move into a heart without bringing about change, without you knowing it. And I believe that to be true. There is the moment that you are born again. There should immediately be The most overwhelming assurance of what God has done. Now, after that, what takes place? Immediately, as we talked about just a little bit ago, the devil comes to bring about discouragement. He comes to to deceive you, uh, to, to sort of steal your joy, to steal you of your assurance. But the issue is this. He steals assurance from those who are willing to listen to him. The issue is this. We've got to not so much listen to the whispers of the devil, but to the, the roar of what God has spoken already in His word and the power of the Spirit within us. God has given us everything that we need in Christ, to have acceptance and to have assurance. We can know, according to, as he listened here, Romans 8:16, that the spirit capital bears witness with our lowercase spirit, meaning the Lord Himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, which is our inner our man, that we are the sons of God, that we belong to Him, that we've been adopted by Him, that there's no longer a change in that relationship. Before, where we were at enmity or enemies of God, now we've been reconciled, and now we're together. And to never be separated again, by the way. And now are there times and moments in our Christian walk where we seem to be a little out of step, yes. Why is it? It's not that God has moved. It's not that God has changed. But rather because in those moments we have walked by sight, we have walked by our flesh, and therefore we easily find ourselves in some, some rough situations. I found, I found the Lord teaching me a little bit this morning on my walk. Every morning I take the dog for a walk. We go nice and early. and It's just a, a good time, enjoy the nature, And I found a couple of instances where the Lord taught me about myself through my dog. And that sounds strange, but I'm I'm walking the dog. His name's Squirrel, by the way. It makes no sense. I'm walking him, and we get up to the little pavilion over by the Wellness Center, getting ready to get on the trail. Things are going good. We're both moving the right direction in the same direction. Things are good. But then out of nowhere, he decides to go on the other side of this pole, and he doesn't realize what he's done until he gets there and goes... Right, and gets jerked back, and he looks up at me like, well, what happened? I'm like, you happened. But it was just like that. The Holy Spirit was like, you realize this, right? How many times we'll be walking with the Lord, things are good, it's a nice day, we're walking not just together, but we even head the same direction. And then what do I do? We let a distraction or something come between us. Now, it didn't take but half a minute, right, to, to walk on the other side and him to realize, oh, got to walk on this side of the pole with you, right? And then we're good. Then it wasn't but a little while later that you catch a whiff of something and, and he smells something that I can't, right, because he's, he's got a good nose and I've got this nose, right? Smells something that he wants or that he thinks he wants or maybe something that might, he might be afraid of, and he locks it down, right? I, I'm not going. I won't move. We got to go this way. Right? He's like, Don't you know? I'm like, No, don't you know? Home is this way, right? We have this conversation. He doesn't talk back, right? It's just I do the answering for him. <laughs> They're in that moment as well. And that happened unfortunately today a lot where he was I'm not going. I'm going, Well, what's the deal, man? Realize how many times in our Christian walk what we do is that God has already spoken in his word. Through the power of the Spirit within us the Holy Spirit clearly shows us the Word points us to Christ leads us guides us we're going the right way and then what do we do we let just one little thing get in the way right my dog could see me around the pole and he could see where the mistake was much like you and I we can still see God but we go someone's not right here how come we're separated here but we got to realize that we're on the wrong side of the pole we've let something come in between so that's how we can, it can start that way by losing some assurance by having a little bit of separation there or something in between. And then the next thing we know, we're so unassured because of our sin that now we're locking it down and going, I can't move forward, or well, we're going the wrong direction. But the real thing is this our walk would be so much better is if we're constantly looking and going the direction that the Lord is leading. Right? We would never knowingly put our, our pets in danger, would we? And they trust us, but there are some times where their nose gets them into trouble. You and I know that God will never lead us to do something to bring about some sort of terrible harm, in the sense, that it doesn't mean, by the way, that bad things don't happen. We know that God has clearly told us in Romans 8 throughout the Bible that everything that He does, whether we see it or not, is for our good and for His glory. What often happens, though, is our noses get us into trouble. Where we trust, but then the moment moment our nose leads us astray, or the moment that we think, well, it doesn't matter if I go on this side of the pole or that, it's still the same, we're still going the right direction, and then what do we find? We find some issues. And the issue is always ourself, isn't it? Jackman writes about this this, uh, verse. He says, what john is affirming is that the testimony is the christian is in the christian because he or she is believing in the son of god the greek present participle the one who believes or who is believing indicates a permanent and continuous action I mean, this is who you are it's you believe and it's continuous it is a, a sealed action moving forward right the preposition in Which follows shows that John means much more than simply believing what Christ says in the sense of understanding or even accepting it, but to believe in or on uh, Christ is to to believe in or on Christ is to commit oneself to him as faithfully, uh, as fully, excuse me, as fully as one knows in faithful reliance on him. This is, of course, John's favorite description of saving faith in his gospel, where he uses pistuō, pistuōes on over 40 occasions, meaning to believe on or to believe in. And he says, it is as we meet the historical Jesus through the apostolic testimony of the work of the Spirit that the objective realities of all that He accomplished for us in His death and resurrection become internalized in our experience now. Meaning, The new birth takes place and following it, there develops the growing inner conviction that these things are true and they are true in and for us as individuals. So what we look at here at verse 10, he that believeth not God hath made him light. We'll look at that just a moment. But he that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Meaning this, the more, that, the longer that we are saved. Here's what should be happening. We should be growing deeper in truth. And as we're growing deeper in truth, we're going to be growing and should be growing deeper in trust. Meaning this, the more that I know God, and not just know about God, but the more I know God, the more... I will trust him. Much like with, you know, my dog, is. he's definitely not going to be a, a police canine or anything like that. We, we didn't take him to training you know, when he was a pup. and We probably should have. But you look at like a police dog or, or military dogs or horses or many other things that, that get trained to do something. What happens is that they have to continuously go through this process. They build up trust through their training, and it's over and over and over again. Even take a soldier like who's a a Navy SEAL, for example. The moment he graduates and and uh, starts training, what does he have to do now in order to gain trust in his abilities? He's got to train. So for you and I, what we've got to do is if we're going to trust the Lord more, we must know him more. It begins by knowing the truth. And as we know more of the truth, the truth changes us into where we don't just have a filled head, we have a filled heart of trusting God. Our minds try to trust the Lord. Right? Our minds often know the truth. But it's the heart that has the faith to believe that what God has said, what I've heard, what I've seen, what I've handled, as John talks about, that is true and that is the only thing that I can stand upon. He then says, because he that believeth not the record that God gave of his son, excuse me, back up here, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. He that believeth not made him a liar, meaning this. To reject the truth and testimony of God is to accuse God of lying. Really what we find, though, is that those who reject the truth of God are, one, lying about God, lying to God, and lying to themselves. When you reject what God has said and spoken, you're accusing God of not telling the truth and you are saying to yourself that you have your own truth or your own ability to, to um, come up with, with truth. Uh, in reality, the one who rejects the truth of God found in Christ is lying in their own heart and to their own heart. Romans 1 tells us about this. I'll turn there for just a moment. we got to hurry on through here. I told you guys we are going to finish this section. I don't want to be made a liar either. <laughs> Romans 1 tells us, verse 18 and 22, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood, not just seen, but they're understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful They became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. God is no liar. but You accuse Him of such when you don't trust Him and believe Him. And so we've got to understand that because God's Word is true, and it's true every time, it is our sole job and responsibility to say, yes, Lord, to go deeper in an understanding of the truth, but to go deeper in obedience as we trust Him through the truth He has given. And He tells us, and this is the record, and here is the record, right? This is, this is what is down, that God have given to us, given, it's a gift of God, right? Not of, uh, of works, so as any man should boast. have given uh, to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, And he that hath hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So here's the record. Here's what John is bringing this all to, to give this sort of acceptance or assurance, as well as this apologetic for the day that they're living in, that God has given eternal life, but only through His Son, Jesus Christ. Outside of the Son, there is no life. Outside of Christ, there is no life. Even physically speaking, if it were... If it were not for the Lord's grace and mercy right now, every one of us would perish physically, right? let alone spiritually. But if it were not for His grace and mercy, we would perish spiritually too. But it is through the gift of not just just some sort of work and making a way, but that He Himself is the way, the truth and the life, that it is found in the Son, it is found in Christ Jesus, that there is eternal life that is given. And as it is given to us, what must we do? Receive. How do we receive? He tells us all throughout this book, chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So how do we have and receive this gift of eternal life? How do we receive even the assurance of it? All of it boils down to by faith. By faith, we receive salvation. By faith, the Lord sanctifies us and by faith one day we will reach the heaven shores and be glorified. It is all of faith. Not faith in oneself, not faith in religion, not faith in anything else, but faith, not just in that Jesus existed, but that Jesus, the Son of God, bled and died for sin, my sin, your sin, and rose again, that His word that He has given and spoken is true. And to not just believe, but the idea of belief is it is a total dependence and reliance and leaning on, right? If you've ever been to like Pigeon Forge or something and you go up on like the Space Needle in Gatlinburg there, right? And you go up there and and, and like every other tourist, you spend way too much money just to go up this elevator and look out and go, yep, that's it, right? Sure is nice, like it was down there, except down there, I wasn't way up here, right? But if you're real brave, what do you do? You kind of lean on their on their big railing that they've got, right? Baby, right? But you look at it, and if you lean on it, what are you doing? You're putting your weight on it. More so than that, you're putting your trust. This thing's going to hold me up from going from up here down there real quick, right? The same thing spiritually. It is a full reliance and a full trust. Stott writes, Eternal life is emphatic in the sentence. The testimony is that is... Eternal life which God gave us in giving His Son. But the testimony is not only objective to Christ as a life giver, but subjective in the gift of life itself. Eternal life is a free gift which God gives to those who believe in His Son. And the gift of life, the experience of fellowship with God through Christ, which is eternal life, is God's final testimony to His Son. There is only life in Christ. That this whole book all of our life, both physical and eternal now, points to one thing and one thing only. And it is not a thing. It is the person and work of Jesus. So the one who has the Son has life. but The one who does not have the Son does not have life. So this morning I encourage you, one, if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Call out to the Lord and be saved and experience the free gift of eternal life. Experience what it's like to, to live life now knowing Him and in fellowship with Him. But Today as well, may it be a reminder to each one of us that have walked with the Lord for some time to remember that not just a part of our life is in Christ, but that all of life is in Christ. From the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep and everything in between, it belongs to the Lord because He has given us life. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe, our whole life. We don't owe Him out of obligation. We owe Him out of obedient love that wants to praise Him for who He is and what He has done for us. Let's pray. Well, we love You. We thank You for this time. We're grateful that we can gather, we can worship You. We can study your word. God, I pray that we would grow deeper in truth and deeper in trust in you. And we thank you for your...